If you got your Bibles, you can go to Revelation. Put your finger in there for now, okay? And so just want to welcome you. If you're uh, joining us online for the first time, great to have you with us. Uh, man, I wish we could actually meet. I look forward to the day that happens. And uh, so good to have you join us. Welcome. And uh, hey, a couple announcements, a few things to let you know about just with regards to our church. First one is this. Um, of course, we got prayer tonight here at 7 o'clock. And I encourage you to come join us as we seek the Lord on Sunday night, the hour of prayer. And then um, also Tuesday, we have the wedding shower for Michelle Parker. Her and David are getting married on the 20th of March. And so the wedding shower is uh, via Zoom, okay? So what you got to do is connect with the church email. There's a link Tuesday night. I believe it's at 7. I forgot to check this. Does anybody? Yeah, 7 o'clock. Okay, so 7 o'clock, you can Zoom in and uh, join Michelle. If you wanted to drop a gift off, you're welcome to do that here during the day on Monday at the church or Tuesday. And uh, if you happen to miss that, well then, yeah, the church is open Monday to Thursday. And you're, during office hours, you're welcome to swing by, okay? It's been kind of fun. The weeks have been busy. You know, you think, what do pastors do all week? I'll tell you what, we get a lot of people dropping in on our church. And uh, we miss you on Sunday, but we're glad that people feel free to come by during the week. So, okay. And then the other thing is this, is uh, we've, we've got Kids Place up and running. The kids have met this morning. Parents have dropped them off for the 930 service. It's great to see them. It makes, uh, fills my heart with joy. And um, one of the things that we got going on is that we haven't basically touched our Kids Place area downstairs for 12 months, if you can believe it. And so uh, we want to this week get in there and do a bit of a tidy and a clean clean and get it sorted out. And uh, if you're interested in serving and helping in that way, could you let uh, us know here at the church office, get a hold of us? And uh, boy, we'd appreciate that help. Okay, so sweet. Other than that, you know, the usual stuff happening around here. And uh, so let's pray as we come to God's word. If you got your Bibles, you can go to Revelation chapter four uh, and let's spend some time in God's word. Lord. I just thank you that, God, we can meet with you uh, this morning, that we can spend time in your word, Lord. And it's our heart, Jesus, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified through our church and through our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And as we come to your word this morning, we, we approach it on this basis, that we're not the authority of Scripture. We're not the authority over Scripture. Your, the scripture is the authority over us. And Lord, you've entrusted to your church the word of God to declare the gospel of God and to preach the name of Jesus. And so Lord, we thank you for that great privilege. And Lord, this morning we humble ourselves before you, asking that by your spirit you would speak to us, Lord, that our lives would come under your authority, under your rule, under your law, God, and that, that you would reveal yourself to us. And so God, we we uh, thank you for this time this morning. We ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sweet. So Revelation chapter 4. What I thought I'd do this morning is this. Is I, I was just throughout this week thinking about some of the great pictures of God in Scripture. Some of the great uh, texts that reveal his nature and his person and give us far bigger views of God. And this morning, what I wanted to do is get a big, try to get a big view, a heavenly view of the God whom we serve. You know, I thought about going to Isaiah chapter six, or Revelation chapter one, or looking at Ezekiel's um, vision of the glory of God. But um, 
The one that caught my heart was Revelation chapter 4. And so we're going to turn there and we're going to see this uh, picture of God that John shares with us. You know, when we talk about Jesus, the Bible tells us a number of things about Jesus. And I put them in slides here. They're going to come up for us. But Jesus is the center of all the scripture. All scripture is pointing to him. Jesus is the word of God. He is the word made flesh. And so every time as we make our journey through the scripture, the person that we're always looking for is Jesus in the text of scripture. Like in the Old Testament, we see Jesus is predicted. He's predicted in the Old Testament. All throughout, from Genesis to Malachi, it's all foreshadowing, all looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Then you come to the pages of the gospel and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we see is Jesus revealed in the gospels. Then we flip from the gospels to the book of Acts and we look at the early days of the church and we see this, that the church preached Jesus. That Jesus is preached in the book of Acts, his gospel, his name, his glory. That was the role of the church. And we watch in, in the book of Acts, the expansion of the church. Then you come to the writings of the, that we call the epistles, the letters to the churches and to individuals and in the epistles Jesus is explained who he is the the work of his salvation what he's doing in the hearts and lives of people and how he's at work in history is explained in the epistles and then you come to this last book of the bible where we are this morning and we see this that Jesus is expected in the book of revelation see from genesis to revelation it's all his story all of history is his story it's about Jesus and his revelation. And so let's, let's take a peek at this. It says this in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now this morning, I mean, for the sake of this text, I'm not going to dive into where this fits and the story of Revelation and all these different things. But what I want us to see is this, is the vision John has as he is caught up in the spirit and taken up into heaven. Just like it will happen at the rapture. All at once, John is in the spirit. He's in the spirit because flesh and blood cannot Inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said a man must be born again. He must be born of the spirit if he's ever to see the kingdom of God. And so John is raptured in the spirit and he sees in heaven a throne. And John is going to tell us all about this throne and everything that he sees. The seat of authority, the throne of God above. Now, the thing about this text is this. It's not the throne. Actually, the word throne, I think, is in here 11 times. It's not the throne that makes this revelation so awesome. It's not the fact that he's in heaven that makes this revelation so awesome. What's so spectacular here is the one who sits on the throne. This is what we want to see. That the thing that makes heaven, heaven, is that the Lord is there. And that when we go there, we're going to be with him and we're going to see him on that throne. Yeah, you know, we could talk about heaven and all the wonderful things of heaven. Scripture tells us about streets paved with gold and the presence of angels and cherubim and all the wonderful things that we're going to see. The hope of our reunion with 
loved ones who've gone on ahead of us. All that's great, but look at what makes heaven heaven is the fact the Lord is there. Jesus is there and we're going to be with him in his presence forever. And you know, when you look at heaven in the scripture, we see this, that heaven is a place of worship. Heaven is a place where we will ascribe to the Lord all the glory and honor and praise that is due his name because of who he is and all that he has done. You know, when you think about the Christian life, there's a lot of different ways that you might describe the Christian life. You could say, well, it's a life of faith. You know, following Jesus is a life of service. It's a life of being an ambassador of the kingdom, of being a witness for King Jesus. It's a life of working for Jesus and, and doing good deeds and living, you know, morally and ethically according to uh, the scripture, seeking to do good works. And, and, and it's true, following Jesus is in many ways all of those things, but ultimately all of them come under this umbrella that, that the Christian life, a life of relationship with Jesus is one of worship, of worship. The Christian life is a life of worship by which in everything that we do and in everything we seek to be, we seek as followers of Jesus to ascribe to the Lord the glory and honor that is due his name. You know, like that old great hymn, to God be the glory for great things he has done. So John's in heaven. Let's see what he sees. Verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. What a crazy picture this is in heaven. John didn't so much, you know, there's a form sitting there. God is sitting there on the throne, but John is in the spirit. And the Bible tells us that God is a spirit, that God is spirit. And he who sat there had this appearance like jasper and like carnelian, like these, like these stones in their appearance. And John likens God on his throne to like precious stones being in front of him. Jasper is like diamond. It's like, so imagine in your mind a diamond, you know, and the sparkle and the shimmer. That's what John saw, the form of God sitting on that throne. He had the appearance of a jasper and carnelian. And, and Jasper is this crystal clear gem. The scripture tells us that God is light, that he's light, that there's no darkness in him. Psalm 104 verse 2 says this, that he covers himself with light as like a garment. And the clarity of this stone, this Jasper stone, speaks to the, to the, the holy and pure nature of God that John saw as he witnessed him. And he said that he saw at the same time this carnelian stone, like this color of carnelian, which is red. It's red like a ruby. So John looks at the throne. He sees brilliant white light coming forth. And at the same time, it's colored with red, with this reddish ruby hue of a carnelian. And of course, you know, we know that no man ever comes into the presence of God except by the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is no darkness in God. That God is light and sinful man cannot have access to his presence unless it is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his redemptive work on the cross. And so John sees God shining forth in brilliant white light, but, but it's because of the blood of Jesus that this white light has this reddish ruby hue to it. 
It's awesome because one day we're going to be at that throne. We're going to worship. And so the, the, the carnelian, that red ruby, that, that reminds us of the redemptive work of Jesus when we come to the throne of God, the jasper and the carnelian. You know what's cool? That in the Old Testament, when we read about the high priest and this ephod that he wore with all of the stones that were on that ephod, one stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel were the very first stone on that ephod was a jasper. And inscribed on the jasper stone was the name Reuben, because Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob. And Reuben is not just a delicious, delicious sandwich. I got to say, that's, that's like one of my favorite things for lunch, a Reuben sandwich. Reuben, the name Reuben means this. It doesn't mean, you know, Montreal smoked beef and sauerkraut and rye and all that stuff. It doesn't mean just that. The name Reuben means behold a son. Behold a son. Now, the, that, that was the first stone on the ephod, but the 12th stone on the ephod was a carnelian. And it represented and was the name inscribed on it was the 12th son of Jacob, Benjamin. Benjamin, which we know means this, son of my right hand. And you put those two names together, the Jasper, the Carnelian, Reuben, and Benjamin, and what do you have? You have this name, Behold a son, the son of my right hand. The picture of Jesus. And the nature of God on this throne, it just communicates to us this truth that, that if you're going to come into the presence of God, then you are going to have to approach through a son. The son of God. Through Jesus, through the saving work of Jesus. And then as John looks at this throne, he tells us this, that all around the throne was a rainbow. That it actually encircled the throne and it had the appearance of an emerald to it. Now we know this. You know, we love our rainbows out here over the ocean. A, a rainbow a stretches out over the sky. It's a, a bow of colors in the sky and the colors are created by you know, light shining through the moisture in the air, and we, we see the rainbow. And uh, we know this from the scripture that the very first rainbow ever was recorded in Genesis chapter 9, that God placed the rainbow in the sky as a sign of his covenant, that he would never again destroy the earth by means of a flood. And so the rainbow is a symbol of his covenant relationship with his creation God's grace, God's mercy. You know, I always say this. Parents, I want to tell you, every time you see a rainbow in the sky, you take the time and you remind your children what that means. You take the time, you remind yourself what that means. A, a rainbow reminds human beings of God's mercy and his grace. It's actually a bow and it's, it's shaped in that shape. We, we know this. I've told you this before, but maybe you don't know this. It's shaped in that shape because it's literally a bow. God is saying, I'm going to fire a target at myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot the arrow at myself, and I am going to redeem you by my own work, and I'm going to protect you. We know this. Jesus came to do that. And so, parents, we, we remind our kids that the rainbow in, is, is an arch that reminds us of God's covenant relationship with his creation and his heart to redeem us. But the rainbow in heaven is not just an arch, John says. It entirely circles the throne of God because in heaven, all things are complete. You know, you think about a rainbow here on earth. Often they appear after a storm, after a heavy rain. 
But in the book of Revelation, I mean, if you just look at kind of the chronology of Revelation, the rainbow appears before the storm. Before judgment comes on the earth, it's like, you know, God saying, even in judgment, I'm full of mercy and I'm full of grace. And this rainbow had the appearance of an, an emerald. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same color scheme of rainbows that we see, see here on earth. And, it, and, and so a rainbow, it's a, it's a sign of the covenant. Jesus said this, there's a new covenant in my blood. And this symbol, this rainbow encircles the throne of God. Because so great was the expression of God's love for us and the death of his son Jesus on the cross that this emerald rainbow encircles the throne of God telling us forever that it is finished. It's a closed circle. A new covenant in his blood. And it's no wonder the scripture tells us that we can approach the throne of God because it's a throne of grace and mercy. We have access through the blood of Jesus we can come in our time of need, praise his name. Now look what else John tells us, verse 4. He says this, around the throne were 24 elders. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, sorry, around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. So here around the throne, there's 24 more thrones that encircle God's throne. And 24 elders seated on these thrones. And there's lots of debate and discussion. Well, who is this? Who, who's there? Who's seated on these thrones? I, I like this explanation and this thought that probably you have the 12 sons of Jacob represented there. The 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have from the New Testament, the 12 apostles, the foundation of the church. 12 and 12, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles makes 24 and maybe these 24 represent the redeemed of Israel and the redeemed of the Gentiles. Israel and the church together before God in his presence, symbolizing the completion of God's redemptive work and his salvation on earth. In heaven, these people are rewarded. They have crowns. John sees they have crowns. They're clothed in white, this picture of Purity in the presence of God because they've been redeemed by Jesus and they have crowns. The Bible tells us that, that the Lord has, has promised crowns to those who serve him. And there's a number of crowns. There's five that I know of in, in scripture. There's the crown of life. There's the crown of righteousness. The crown of glory. There's a crown for being a soul winner. And there's also the martyr's crown. A, a crown that is special for those who... Lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel. Now it says this in verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. This is just a crazy picture that John is having here. It says this, flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. It's overtones of Exodus. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 19, actually. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 to 20. And, and, and just listen to this explanation from Mount Sinai and compare it to what we read here. It says this, if I can get there. I didn't put it on the screen for you. So I'll read it for you. Here it says this. 16, where am I here? 
Oh, sorry, 19, chapter 19, verse 16 to 20. It says this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Man, John gets into heaven and what does he see? Flashes of lightning and thunder and rumbles and peals. Just like the appearance of the Lord on Mount Sinai. Makes me think of what happened to Jesus at the transfiguration. That he became as white, white like lightning, the scripture says. And before this throne were seven burning torches of fire, John says. They are the seven spirits of God. Now in the Old Testament, there was the menorah present there in the, in the temple. And it was lit seven seven. Uh, branches of the menorah lit. And of course, the earthly tabernacle is a copy of what is in heaven. So seven lights in the earthly tabernacle, seven spirits before God in his presence. And Isaiah tells us that that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. That the spirit of the Lord, he prophesied, shall rest on Jesus, the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 11, 2. And it says, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Like crystal. In scripture, the raging nature of the sea the raging nature of the sea, it's tossing to and fro, is, is symbolic of chaos on the earth, earth, the chaos of sin, the chaos and the thrashings of the nations. And it's untamable on earth. It's chaotic. Sin is like a taskmaster that, that bounces you around. It, it will chuck you into, into storms, but, but in heaven... But in heaven, the sea is like crystal. I, I've actually read in my studies over the years that they said there's no ocean, no sea in heaven, which I kind of think is kind of sad. I don't know if that's true. I'm hoping that's not true. So I love the ocean. I'm reminded of the storm on the Sea of Galilee, how Jesus stilled the chaos. He spoke and it was still. Micah said this, that, that the Lord will... Throw our sins into the depths of his sea. Micah 7, 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Job said this, By his power he has stilled the sea. And in heaven, the storms of life will be no more. Isn't that awesome? The storms of life will be no more. It will be peace and serenity of, of a glassy sea. 
of a glossy sea. Now, now let's, let's read on here. Let's read on in chapter, uh, verse 6. It says this, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Look, John takes us back to this throne here in this vision, and he sees these four living creatures. Boy, this is quite the scene, right? You know, the jasper, the carnelian, the rainbow of emerald, the 24 thrones, the glassy crystal sea, and these four creatures full of eyes all around them and behind, wild-sounding creatures, forever worshiping God and declaring his holiness. They, they resemble the, the cherubim angels that we read about in the Old Testament. Isaiah uh, chapter 6 and Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. And, and, and their praise resembles the seraphim of Isaiah chapter 6. These four creatures have actually been correlated with, with God's creation and his covenant with Noah with regards to the rainbow. See, in his covenant with Noah, we see the face of a man, one of these four living creatures. Uh, we see uh, the birds, the, uh, an eagle, the face of an eagle. We see the livestock, the creature like an ox. We see the, the beasts of the earth, a creature like the lions. And these creatures, which represents God's covenant with all of creation, signify the, the wisdom of God, and they proclaim forever his holiness. Their place in heaven reminds us that God has a covenant with the earth and with the inhabitants of the earth, his creation. And nature is to praise him and to magnify him and to glorify him, giving him his due. And they say, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Why? Father, Son, Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. Check out verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Wow, this is an awesome look into heaven as John has this vision into this, this peak into the throne room of God. And what do we see? We see this. This is what I want you to catch this morning. This is, this is the thrust of going through this whole thing, that heaven is a place of worship. Where God has ascribed glory, where, where the saints of God, the elders, lay their crowns down. The very gifts that God has given them, they, they in humility and in worship lay them down before the Lord. This is the God we worship in one picture. I mean, I wish we could go Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, Revelation chapter 1. Look at, boy, it, you, the Bible is incredible in the pictures that it paints of the Lord and the God that we worship. 
And see, in heaven, the program for the saints of God is this, is to forever worship the Lord and to ascribe to him the glory to his name. Now, worship isn't just singing. I, I always want to separate that. I mean, worship incorporates all of life. Work is worship. You know, being a good dad, that's worship. Being a, a good spouse, that's worship. How we handle our money, that's worship. Gathering with the people of God to praise the name of Jesus, that's worship. Worship is the program of heaven. And look at for us as followers of Jesus. Worship is the purpose of our creation. To ascribe to God the glory due his name. Worship, the life of worship is to be an expression of our love for God. We're going to worship God for eternity. For eternity, and we get to start now. And, and that's why I would say this, that worshiping Jesus is essential. In this life, it's like essential. It's essential. That's why we believe this, that the church is essential for God's people to come together, to gather, to give to him the glory and the praise that is due his name for saving us. We're worshipers of God. And that's why this morning, I'm kind of just excited to share the word and to say this. Look at this is the last week we're only doing this online only thing with regards to our church. Because starting next Sunday, we're going to open the church up. You'll be able to come here with the people of God, and to worship the God who has saved us and redeemed us by his blood. We will ascribe together glory to the God who has saved us. You know, when I think about the scripture, I'm, you know, just pondering on these things. I'm reminded of Moses, you know, when God called Moses in the book of Exodus, he said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. And when you have done so, you're going to return to this mountain and you will worship me. Together, you will worship me. You will corporately gather and you will ascribe to me the glory that is due my name because I have set you free from slavery. You will gather together corporately and you will glorify me from redeeming you from the slavery in Egypt. And so you know the story of the book of Exodus. Moses went before Pharaoh and he gave this message to Pharaoh. He said, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may worship me. That they may worship me. And the story of Exodus is an awesome story. We know this, that, that Pharaoh refused at that first request. That he refused. And then began this cycle of plagues, 10 plagues that came on the people of Egypt. And time and time again, Moses went before Pharaoh and he said, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may worship me. And Pharaoh offered compromises to the people of God. No, no, you, 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 you can't go. No, 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 you can go. He was moving the goalposts all the time. He said, you can go and worship, but you have to go as I ascribe your worship, as I direct your worship. 
Then, then he said, you, you, can't, you can't leave. You can't leave, but you can worship here. You can work geographically. This is where you can worship. Next, he said, well, you can go into the wilderness, but you can't go very far. He offered compromise after compromise. Then he, then he said this, well, the men can go, but the women and children have to stay behind. Then finally, he said, well, the women and children can go with you, but you have to leave all of your possessions behind. You can't take your personal belongings as you go worship the Lord. And he tried to move the goalposts on the call of God for his people to gather for worship time and time and time again. He offered them compromises in worship that were prescribed by his orders. And the Lord in that process, I mean, it's this amazing process. If we were to go through it all this morning, in that process, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he would not let them go. And when we look at the story of Exodus, part of the reason, this is important church, catch this this morning. Part of the reason that it was necessary for God's people to go through the ups and downs of offers of compromise and plagues and miracle workings of God was this, this yo-yo up and down. That God had to grow in his people a resolve to follow him no matter what he said. And church, I actually believe that that's part of what God has been doing over this past year. He's been growing a resolve in the hearts of his people. So that we will learn to say, yes, sir, when he says, go, do this, do that. God was growing a resolve in them to follow him. And we know that that continued to be a struggle for them. Just because they had resolve to leave when the time came to leave didn't mean things got easier for them. And I think the Lord has been growing resolve in his church over this past year. You know, in the story of Exodus, when the Passover happened, the angel of death came and visited Egypt. The firstborn male of every home died except in the homes of the Hebrews where they had sacrificed the Passover lamb and taken that blood of the lamb and painted it over the lintel and doorways of that, of that home. And there, under the blood of the lamb, the sons were protected. Now, when I think about the story of Pharaoh and Moses and God's people coming out, you know, I think about Pharaoh and I would say this. Pharaoh, in all of his calculations, missed one thing. God. You know, you took to the, turn to the book of Daniel and you read about Nebuchadnezzar. He built that great image to his own glory. He demanded that all tribes and tongues and nations bow to his image. He threatened that if anyone failed to bow to his image, they would be tossed into the fiery furnace. There's that great story from the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not serve his gods and who would not bow to the image. And they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And when he asked, was it true? Is it true that you won't bow to my gods or serve my, my image? I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace if you don't obey. What, what did they say in Daniel chapter 3? said this, we have no need. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. We have no need to answer you in this matter, they said. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Look at these men. They believe the promises of God. They could have compromised. They could have attempted diplomacy. But they believed this, that they had a responsibility to the Lord to be faithful. They had a responsibility to the Lord to be obedient and to leave the outcome in his hands. Whether he miraculously worked on their behalf or whether it cost them their life. See, church, the outcome belongs to God. And certainly there is 2,000 years of church history to tell us that faithful obedience to the Lord can go in a number of directions. There can be miraculous outcomes where God redeems and saves, and there can be outcomes that cost you your life. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, it's a great story. Because they were met by a fourth man in the furnace. And they were willing to be faithful in spite of the cost, leaving the outcome to the Lord. Now again, when I think of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, just like the story of Pharaoh, I would say this about Nebuchadnezzar. There was one thing that he did not factor into all of his demands and threats. The Lord. Church, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the benefit of seeing the fourth man in the furnace with them. But look at, we don't need to see Jesus to know that he's with us. He promised, never will I leave you or forsake you. He told his disciples, when he, the apostles, when he commissioned them in Matthew chapter 28, that I am with you even unto the very end of the age. You know, I think about these stories from Exodus and Daniel, bricks without straw for the Israelites, a fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look, those may not be our realities, but we have to expect that when we follow Jesus, when we worship him, opposition comes with it. Opposition is to be expected. Jesus told his disciples, he made it very clear, and for some reason, we don't totally love it in the North American church culture. Jesus said this, if they hate me, they will hate you. And it seems to me that in our culture, I mean, we're a soft culture. We're soft. We have to know that opposition comes with the gospel. You know, I think about all of these COVID restrictions that we've lived under. I've got to say this. Like Pharaoh, like Nebuchadnezzar, our government has failed to calculate in one factor. God. The church should have been called to pray. The public should have been instructed, go to the churches and seek God. Ask God to move. The government has failed to calculate in that one factor, the factor, the only one that matters. God. You know, when we think about our response, I just recognize this, that it takes time to navigate as a follower of Jesus. There's lots of things we're seeking to balance as we seek to 
live in honor to the Lord. We have to navigate ethics of what's right in situations because we want our lives to point to Jesus. And it's true. I mean, this past year, it's like, wow, there's certain things. It just, this does not feel black and white, you know, navigating our way through. And look at, I would say this. I don't think it's supposed to be. I, I think we're supposed to be challenged with regards to our faith and have to navigate our ethics and find our way through uh, the maze. You know, one year ago, when it was two weeks to flatten the curve, one year ago, when it was two weeks to flatten the curve, we participated. Boy, much against my will, I have to tell you, I said to our church, we are not closing the doors. I don't care what's said. I said that on a Wednesday night. And that week, the Lord moved on my heart, and I, like, submitted to the Lord. I'm going to tell you that. And we closed for two weeks, but it lasted for three months. When we could open with reduced numbers, 50 people, we did so, and we sought to comply to restrictions. Did we do it perfectly? No, because that's not happening anywhere. But we sought to do our best. In November, we were shut down for two weeks with Great consternation. I got to tell you this. You know this, that the leadership of your church said at first, we are staying open. And we just felt like God moved on our hearts. I mean, literally, we were meeting for prayer. Those of you who were participating in prayer, you know that. God spoke to us through a dream. We sensed that God was telling us to close the door. And, And it was like, okay, well, we have to be in obedience to the Lord here, to the Spirit of God, and do do what he says. And so we closed for two weeks, and two weeks became two more. Then it was a month more. And then another month. Then in early February, we were told it was indefinite. We've, we've been in that reality of indefinite for another month. Four months. Four months we've been told that we can't gather to worship. The church has gathered to worship for millennia, and currently it is indefinite, the order to not gather to worship. We can't gather in a church building. We can't gather in our homes. Or we can meet outside with 25, but we're not allowed to sing. Look, we're worshipers. That's our whole purpose, to worship. We have been closed to the public, to public worship, For seven of the previous 12 months, man, let that sink into your head. For seven months, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, other churches that have been closed for various reasons for that entire 12-month period. We're at 12 months. You know, we hoped. We hoped diplomacy would be better than bold confrontation. Letters were met with no response. It's documented all over the place. I mean, just click on the news and met with no response. I I never had any government response to any outreach that I've done. All I had was the MLA's office say, hey, when you hear from them, let us know. That's it. For some time, it appears that the church has been on a collision course with the state. I mean, there's just no way about it. It's like a collision course. That's the the trajectory. And the state has a God-given authority to keep the rule of law. But the church has a God-given authority with regards to the worship of God Almighty. 
And in a nation where the church is not free, people are not free. You know, we have been submitted to the arbitrary whims and manipulation of the political establishment. And believe me, this is far more political than it is to do with the pandemic. I guess this morning I could take the time to discuss all the arguments that say, well, you know, the church is not singled out in these actions. And, you know, this... All of those arguments. I mean, look at, I know them all. I, we've, we've all been discussing them for this last year, but look at the state. Look at, we just have to say this. The state, the government has not taken into account the one thing that matters that Pharaoh missed and Nebuchadnezzar missed. God. In the church, we are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power to save. We are called to gather and worship our Savior, Jesus. And it's not about, you know, I hear the arguments about, well, you know, this is open and that's open. Look, it's not about equality or inequality. This is about the worship of Jesus being restricted. Oh, you can worship at home. No, listen, church, you cannot you cannot experience the, fil- the fullness of the worship of Jesus Christ as an individual. When Jesus saves you, he brings you into a body, which the scripture says he is head of. He brings us into a, a family, into a community, into his church. And when the state hurts the church, man, it's hurting the head. Jesus. You know, I guess I could take time this morning to try and discuss all the info around COVID. You know, one year ago, we didn't know what we were dealing with in so many ways. So we took the steps that had a level of reasonableness to them. Do you know that uh, this week it was shared with me that that it's reported that in November, I mean, these these numbers aren't totally public yet. Maybe it's going to come out in the court cases this week. In November... When the church was restricted in some nearly 50,000 cases of COVID in the province, houses of worship, not churches, houses of worship were responsible for the transmission of 180 out of nearly 50,000. We could talk about the collateral damage of lockdowns, what it's done to our kids, what it's done to the economy. Did you know that in BC, there is no significant excess mortality due to COVID? No. No significant excess mortality due to COVID, but there are 2,500 people that have died over the last 12 months, perished from things like drug overdose, mental health crises, and cancellations and postponements of treatments and procedures as well as people not going to the doctor just simply out of fear, 2,500 people lost their lives. Fear. You know, the Bible tells us that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, is the beginning of wisdom. And we can't fear the furnace more than we fear God. We're the church. Look, put a mask on, stick a needle in your arm. I don't know, collect government stimulus. If you think that makes you safe, if you think that those things 
will make you safe and they'll fill your life with hope. Well, I got to tell you this. You will never be safe and you will be hopeless unless you give your life to Jesus Christ. There is safety in Jesus and there is hope in Christ Jesus. And we, the church, fear the Lord. We put our hope in the God of heaven, the one that John had that incredible revelation of. And for this church, look at I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. Jesus is the head, not the government, not the pastor. Jesus is the head of the church. And so, you know, we don't like to talk about it, but there is risk in following Jesus. We'd like our Christianity to be more like a country club than a hospital, you know. This church is supposed to be a hospital, not a country club. If you're clicking on with us and you're hurting this morning, look at I want to tell you, you are welcome here. <laughs> 